Well, I've got something to tell you. One of my favorite days of the week is Thursday. And you might say, Cheryl, because you don't really talk back, even though I wish you would. Cheryl, why is Thursday one of your favorite days of the week? Well, let me tell you. I love Thursdays because it's trash day. Seriously, they come and they get rid of all my rubbish. I love that. You know, I feel guilt. I feel guilt when I put those rubbish bins out. You know, and the rest of the neighbors, they have like one. We've got three. It's like, where do we get all this trash? And you know, the things that I'm throwing away, are you ever embarrassed about the things you put in your trash? Like, you know how chicken, you, know, you take off the yickies of chicken and you stick them in the trash can and the next day you're like, whoa, what died in my kitchen? If you don't get the trash out. And then you walk by your, your garbage, uh, whatever they th- those things on the side of your house are, you walk by them and they, oh man, such a stench, right? And then that nice man comes in his wonderful truck and he takes it all away, he empties it. So there's no trash. But if you find something, or if by that night you have more trash, good news, he's coming again. He comes every Thursday, unless there's a holiday, and then he only puts it off by one day. But he is so there, that trash man for us. I love my trash man. I love him. He's one of my favorite people. What if he said, you know what? This is too gross. I'm not picking that one up on Ashwood anymore. She's got to keep her trash. You know, no way. This is, it's gross. You should, you know, you get a whiff of that thing, you'll die. I don't do that trash. What if he left it there? Can you imagine? I was in New York um, a year ago during the uh, rubbish man strike. It was terrible. I mean, they were piled up six feet in the snow. All these uh, trash bags. And some animals had gotten into it. And there were things leaking out. And the stench was so bad. It was just sickening. You, you felt like there was just death all over the city. And you know, trash that's left leads to a cholera and all sorts of um, diseases and sicknesses. It, and there it was. And even in the snow, even frozen, that stuff was nasty. And what if it was left? What if our trash man left our trash? Or what if he returned it to us? You know? You know what? I've had it a week. I'm giving it back. You deal with it. Would that be terrible? Or have you ever thought, I'm going to go to the dump and I'm going to get my trash back. I should not have given it to that man. How cruel of me to make him take it away. I should deal with my own trash. When we first moved to Vista, you know, we put our trash cans out and uh, the trash man skipped us. Seriously. He did everybody else in our in our block. We didn't know in Vista that you have to sign up for it separately from all your other bills. And our neighbor said, well, you know, if you want to do your trash yourself, you can. But, you know, I think it's easier just to let those men come and pick it up for, you know, $10 a month. We're like, we'll pay $20 a month. We love those men. But, you know, what if I had to haul it myself to, to, the, to the garbage dump? That would be terrible. My car would stink. Can you imagine those bags? Don't we just hate them? Don't we even kind of walk by it going, Ooh. I don't know about you, but I'm like kind of, uh, 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 uh. 
I mean, I do. I, and the neighbors probably go, oh, that's Cheryl emptying her trash. <laughs> it's, you know, but you know what? Jesus has taken your trash away. He has taken your sin away. There is no need to let it pile up and say, no, I should take this myself. There is no need to smell that stench anymore. And should you sin today, which you will if you're driving, Should you sin today, you know what? It's as easy as putting it in the rubbish bin and giving it to Jesus, and he will take it away. He is faithful. He never misses the opportunity to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. If only, if the garbage man really wanted to be my favorite person, he'd probably wash out my bins after he collected my trash. But some people live as if their trash was never collected. Some believers live as if they have got to atone for their own sins or under the guilt of it. And they call themselves, I'm such a wretch. No, you were a wretch. Now you're a princess. You, you were dirty, but now you're clean. You were worthless, but now you're filled with purpose because of what Jesus has done. But some people are always falling back into sin. They're going to the dump and they're collecting that sin and they're bringing it back to their house. They're never, they're never letting go of it completely. They're, they're losing their temper. They're lying. They're gossiping. They're fighting. They're not emptying that constantly. I think often we live in defeat because we fail to utilize the spiritual victory that has been fought and one for us through Jesus Christ. In Matthew 1.21, the angel of the Lord told Joseph that Joseph was supposed to name the baby Jesus or Yeshua, Savior, because he would save his people from their sins. Now, when we're talking about saving, we're not just talking past tense, though that is true. Jesus has saved us from our sins. They're all washed. They're all cleansed. But there is a continual saving work that the sin that you commit today is already covered. Just put it in the rubbish bin. But it's also that he will take care of your sins tomorrow. I believe that all of you after Thanksgiving will have have food and garbage and debris that needs to be emptied and taken away because there's nothing worse than a stinking turkey carcass. But that's to be taken away too. You see, Jesus died for the sins of tomorrow. He saved us to ultimately save us from all the sin in this world. When he takes us to heaven and sin can no longer reach us. But we are to live in victory over sin because we are no longer slaves to sin. Sin is horrific, isn't it? I mean, we, it, it frames us because it seduces us in. And then it says, you sinned, you sinned. It frames us or sets us up. It frames us. It shames us. It blames us. It maims us. And it claims us. I just came up with those. While it promises fulfillment, 
it is killing its victims. It tallies up wages and makes every victim pay heavily. It condemns those it entraps and it hurts more than the victim. You no doubt have heard people say, hey, I'm only hurting myself. Like, leave me alone. This is just my thing. And they don't understand. It hurts all those that love the sinner. No doubt you've been hurt by a sinner. All of us have. Even Adam's sin has affected all of mankind. So sin hurts everyone who loves the sinner. Sin hurts society itself. Sin hurts future generations, and sin hurts the earth, even nature itself. Sin contributes to the moral and mental decay of everyone. Everyone. Someone once said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. My dad used to love to tell the story of Samson as a cautionary tale about sin. Certainly, Samson thought that he wasn't hurting anyone. He was just fulfilling his base desires when he met Delilah and even before that when he fell in love with a Philistine woman. But he didn't realize that sin affected his parents. His parents were brokenhearted. His parents were affected by his sin. We're told that Judah, the tribe of Judah, was attacked because of his sin by the Philistines. It brought repercussions to all of Israel. It defiled the young ones who looked up at him as a hero, this strong hero of Israel when he fell. Finally, as my father would say, it binded him, it bound him, blinded him, and put him to the grind. But my dad used to say, sin blinds binds and grinds. This is not, this is not the way believers are meant to live. Sin is not to have dominion over us. We are no longer slaves of sin. We no longer are helpless against its temptations. We are no longer mastered by its passions, and we are no longer overtaken by its power. Why? Because Jesus has set us free. So Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Should we ask that trash truck to come back that grace might abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? I certainly do not want to live in one of my trash bins. We had a, um, a young man who came to Jesus. Um, he was in our church in London. And his testimony was, he was very much a cockney, that he used to live in a trash bin till somebody told him about Jesus Christ. And the first thing he did was get out of that trash bin and take a shower because he was clean. And he was there every single Sunday. Bryn. Bryn. Saved out of Bryn, saved out of the trash bin. Of course, he would have called it a rubbish bin. He said, I'll speak the Queen's English. And that's when you say, instead of, can I have a cup of tea? You say, I'll have a Rosie Lee. Don't ask me why. Romans 6 gives us five keys to appropriating the victory of Jesus over sin into our lives. And here are the keys. 
the new identity we have in Christ, verses 3 through 7, the new purposes for our life, verses 8 through 11, new allegiances, verses 12 through 14, new presentation of our members, verses 15 through 19, new understanding and appreciation of God's grace, verses 20 through 23, new identity in Christ. Let me read from Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. When Christ died for you and you received him as your savior, you entered into the heavenly protection program. It's a little bit like the federal protection program, only better. The enemy can never find you. You have been given a whole new identity in Christ. You've been given a new name, a new name. In fact, we're told in Revelation that there is a white stone that each of us will receive and on it a new name, which no man knows. And you will only know it when you receive it from Jesus. You know how you get those promise cards at our retreat? Or how many of you, you know, you were there and you got the word? I got a word. I got the word listen, so I chose a different word. I'm the pastor's wife. And guess what my second word was? Listen. And then I made the mistake of telling Brian. You know what he did the other day? We're sitting with friends. We're out to dinner. And he says, listen to this. And then he takes a bite of food. And we all have to wait while he chews. And I said, Brian, that is so rude. They're very good friends. That is so rude. You can't say listen and then make us wait while you work your jaws. You know, get them ready to speak. You, you have to pause, keep that fork down until you have told us. And he looked at me, he swallowed and he said, what was the word of the Lord to you? <laughs> listen, listen. I said, yes, but it wasn't wait, wait. <laughs> that was someone else's. <laughs> but we are given a whole new identity in Christ, a new name. The criminals don't recognize your new name. They don't know your address. They don't know where to find you. You've been given a new job, a new location in Christ. You are under his constant protection and you are being watched over by the forces of heaven. You're given a new look. You're given a new style. But you have to cut off those associations from the past because they'll kill you. And they want to hurt you. And they want to bring you back into bondage. Should you associate with that past identity, you will give away your location to those who seek your life. You are ready to testify against sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil because of this heavenly protection program. You're ready to testify about how they tricked you, what they promised you, how they enslaved you, how they kept you, and how you were set free. 
you have immunity from all the former charges against you because Jesus has given you, again, a new identity. You are hidden in Christ. You are no longer who you used to be. In your old nature, you lived in fear, you lived in condemnation, and you lived enslaved with no help against sin. But you have been set free, and you are no longer a slave. You are part of the HPP, Heavenly Protection Program. But secondly, you have a new purpose for your life. Verses 8 through 11. When sin comes, you do not have an association with it because you are in the new protection program. You don't have to open the door to sin. You can keep that door shut and say, that person does not live here any longer. But secondly, we have new purposes in our life. This is a victory. This is a victory. This is a key to victory, saying that is no longer the purpose of my life. The purpose of my life is no longer to try to please Cheryl. Cheryl couldn't be pleased anyway. She would eat chocolate, and she'd only want another one. And then the second never tastes as good as the first. And the third even worse. And then she can't get no satisfaction. That's the flesh, isn't it? You can't be satisfied. But now I have a new purpose for my life. My life is now about Jesus. As it says, we shall live with him. Not just for him, but we live with him. We are in relationship with him. And this is my new purpose, to live in constant fellowship with Jesus Christ. Even as Jesus lives his life for God, so those who have been set free from sin, we now live for the glory of God, for the glory of Jesus Christ. We no longer try to appease or satisfy our sinful appetites. We live to please the one who actually loves us. He loves us and he can be pleased. We live to please the one who freed us, died for us, accepts us just as we are, blesses us, and constantly intercedes for us. When I lived in England, I remember my parents would come and visit. And it was wonderful. It was like all heaven broke out when they, when they came. We were so happy. And then as the days would get closer, when my parents were going to leave, you, you just felt this pallor, you know, of, of just kind of um, impending, you know, doom. They were leaving. And when they left, it was just... It hurt so bad. And I remember, I mean, it was all of us were just sobbing. Brian would take them to the airport because my mom said, it's too hard if you all come to the airport. You know, let's just hug here and say goodbye here. And so we would, we would hug, and, then my, and Brian would drive him to the airport. And literally, it sounded like a house of mourning. You know, Braid and Kelsey, Char and Kristen and myself, we would all be crying. And I remember this one day, just going up to my room and say, Lord, remind me again why I'm doing this. Remind me again why this is worth the pain. Remind me again. And I opened my Bible to my devotions that day, and it was Colossians chapter 3. And I read this. For Christ, who is your life. And that was what I needed. Christ is my life. My life on earth is not about being as comfortable, being as indulged, 
getting the most out of earth that I possibly can. No, my purpose on earth is Christ. He has become my life's purpose, that I might be found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is from Christ Jesus. This is the purpose of my life, to be found in him, to be in Christ, to be in constant fellowship with Christ. This is my new purpose. Now, I want to find out all I can about Jesus. As Paul said in Philippians 3, that I might know him. This is what Paul said, I now live for this. For me to live is Christ, Philippians 1, and to die is gain. Life is all about Jesus. And the more I find out about Jesus, the more wonderful it gets. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, I... I read or I listen. I was just listening to K-Wave the other day. And forgive me, I, I can't remember. It will come to me later. But that Scottish pastor, Alistair Begg, it was like, why can't I talk like that? I was listening and I'm in the car. And I, you know, I know he doesn't allow this in his congregation, but I was shouting hallelujah. I was just so blessed. And I thought, Lord, there's still, there's still more there's still deeper, deeper, as we used to sing, deeper, deeper in the love of Jesus. You know, we can go deeper and deeper and deeper in the knowledge of Christ. We've only scratched the surface. There is so much more even here on planet Earth about the death that our Jesus died, about the resurrection that he accomplished, about where he is at the right hand of the Father, there is so much more to understand, to grasp. And oh, Paul said, that's, that's the purpose of my life, to know him. That word is gnosko. And it means not just to have information, but it has to do with knowledge and experience. And Christ, who is our life. My new purpose is to know all I can about him. And because I want to know him, I want to talk about him. I want to know your experience. I want to know your testimony. I want to know what Jesus has done for you because my words are, listen, listen. Alive to Christ, dead to sin. I don't live for sin. You know, sin never did me any favors. It never made me feel better about myself, ever, never. Sin never gave me what it promised. Sin tricked me. Sin sabotaged me. Sin hurt me. Alan Redpath used to say, in each of us lives two dogs, the flesh and the spirit. And whichever dog you feed the most will be the one that dominates. But I also, number three, somebody's talking behind the stage and I love you, but could you not distract me anymore because I'm interested in your conversation. <laughs> they don't know. It carries out here. You're like, what? When, when are you going to do that? With who? I remember, 
I remember one time hearing people and they were ordering coffee behind the stage. I'm like, wait, I want one. And I'm teaching. I'll have a latte, single shot, non-fat. Sorry. Just saying. Number three, new allegiances. Romans 6, 12 through 14. New allegiances. There's a new sheriff in town. We are no longer under the demands of the law. Listen to this. There's no more hiding in darkness. You don't have to hide when you sin. We confess our sins according to 1 John 1, 9. We stay in the light because when we see that sin, we confess it. Right before I came out to teach, well, about a half an hour before we came out, I looked down on my dress and I had gotten something on it, something brown. Do you think I said, I'm going to show those ladies all the brown that I... No, you know what I did? I got a paper towel, I got it a little wet, and I washed it off that quickly. Just washed it off. I acknowledged that there was dirt on my dress, and I went to the cleansing agent that I knew, and I just got rid of it. You see, all we have to do is acknowledge that there's sin and go to the cleansing agent of the blood of Christ and get it off. And now my dress has no spot or blemish. I should have ironed it today, but nevertheless, no spot or blemish. We don't have to hide anymore. We simply ask Jesus from that cleansing. No more constant failure. We don't answer to the law. We answer to Jesus. There's no living up to some type of standard. We just live to Jesus. And he says, accept it in the beloved. Accept it in the beloved. And he uses our failures for lessons and growth. Isn't that amazing? Even if you fail, you win. I think I told you this before, but I'll tell you again. I gave this test to my girls in Murrieta on doctrine. And um, I had them self-correct. And one of the questions in doctrine, they most of the class had gotten wrong. It was a... It was, a, you know, an A, B, C, D, and, and D and, and C were a little too close together. C was right, D was wrong. And they're like, oh, I said, okay, just cross out D, circle C. That's the right answer. And I said, now you all got it right. And this one girl said, no, we got it wrong. I said, but what's the right answer now? And she said it. I said, then you know the right answer. I said, then you got it right. It's over. And she's like, no, it's not. I, got, I said, no, that's your past. In the present, you know it's right. This is grace, honey. This is grace, and the question's about grace. So can you get it? Or do you want to fail it twice? You see, you might fail, but you'll learn a lesson, and now you know. And that's what it's all about. Now you know. Now you're clinging to Jesus. Now you're holding tight. No more condemnation. Now we get convicted. No more like, don't you even try it. Don't you come close, not with those dirty hands. No, now it's come near. We'll take care of this. We'll work together. It's drawing near to Jesus. We're not ostracized any longer, not aliens because of our sin, but we've been brought nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are under grace, a greater, higher, stronger power. It's a constant source of grace, according to Hebrews 416. It is always available, flows from the very throne of God. Never are we ever refused this grace. It's always there. If any man lacks wisdom, James says in James chapter one, let him ask of God 
who does not, and I like the HCSB for this one, does not criticize, does not upbraid if you want the um, King James, does not upbraid, does not criticize, but gives us liberally, gives us liberally. He doesn't say, what are you asking that for, huh? You wanna tell me? Wanna tell me now? You know, what do you need wisdom? What'd you do? He doesn't do that. He says, you need wisdom? Here's loads. Here's more. Here's an abundant. Here's two. Here's three. Here's four. Here's five. As much wisdom as you need. He'll give it to you. Grace works in us to obey God. We become slaves of righteousness. I love this. We are compelled by grace to do good, to do righteous works, to do helpful, compassionate deeds. It's by grace, not because of the shoulds or should nots. But we even do these deeds unconsciously. We just do them because the love of Christ is now constraining us by grace. In Titus 2, 11 through 12, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Grace is God giving us the power to live the godly lives. We don't live, again, under the shoulds and should nots, but we live under the yes, let's do it, and all the promises of Christ. Then there's a new presentation of our members. We used to yield our eyes, our mouths, our ears, our hands, and feet to ungodliness. Verses 13 through 19, remember those times? that your hands, your eyes used to watch things that they shouldn't. We used to sing a song, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For there's a Father up above looking down in tender love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Mm-hmm. Oh, be careful. And then, oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, big feet, where you walk. We used to sing that song in Sunday school because there's a father up above looking down in tender love. Not because he's like, who did that wrong? No, because he's like, oh, please don't do that. I love you so much. I've got better things for you. There's a father up above. In verse 13, Paul says, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Here they are, Lord. These are your hands. This is your mouth. These are your eyes. These are your ears. What do you want me to hear? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to walk? How do you want to use this life? For your glory. That's what the presentation is. Verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin to death or obedience to righteousness. Verse 19. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. You see, we take those same members and we present them to God for his purposes. This is so um, well communicated in Francis Havergill's hymn, Take My Life. And it goes like this. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. 
Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a might would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for thee. And if that song is too hard to remember, there's always head and shoulders, knees and toes. Head and shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes, knees and toes, head and shoulders, knees and toes, all for Jesus. And then you can do it faster if you want to. And it's good exercise. But what a great presentation of ourselves to Jesus. Just to remember that every day we can consecrate ourselves, remind ourselves again that this life belongs to Jesus. Finally, we have a new appreciation for grace. We need to remember what God's grace has done for us. Jesus has died for us that God's grace might abound towards us. We were enslaved previously to sin. And sin is cruel, but grace is kind. Sin brings shame, but grace brings glory and forgiveness. Sin kills, but grace gives everlasting life. Sin exacts wages, but grace is God's gift to us. And we can have an overflowing fountain of grace to draw from. We can call on God's grace to overpower sin in our life. Grace will bind the strong man and throw him out of our lives. Not by obeying rules, not by rituals, not by counting to 10, but by saying, Lord, overpower me with Calvary grace. Overpower me. Don't let me live under my own law or the laws of others or the expectations of others, but let me live under your grace. We need to understand how great this grace is that covers all our sins. According to Philippians 2.13, grace is God working in us to will and to do of his own good pleasure. Grace enables us, according to 1 Timothy 1.17, and he gives us grace abundantly and without measure, according to 1 Timothy 1.14. This is the grace, and we have bold access into this grace in which we stand according to Romans 5, 2. We have more than enough grace. Again, Ephesians chapter 1 talks about the abundance of grace, the riches of his grace, the wealth of his grace. You have more than enough grace. You have more grace than you have temptation. You have grace abounding. 
You are not to live any longer as a slave of sin. Let the trash truck go. Let it take all your sin to the dump where it belongs. You live in cleanness now through Christ. When sin rears up, throw it into the bin because Thursday is coming. Sin will not do you any favors. Just to keep it in the house to remind you of how much you've wasted will not do you any good. You don't need reminders of your sin nature. Get rid of it. Sin has no power to keep you. When you fall, when you fail, simply confess, get washed, throw it away, and step back into grace. Remember, one, you are in God's federal protection program through Jesus. Two, you are here for God's divine purposes. One, you are in God's federal protection program. Two, you are here for God's divine purposes. Three, your new allegiance is to Jesus, not the law or sin. Four, you are to present your members to God for his purposes. Five, grace is abounding toward you even right now. Jesus wants you to live in victory. He doesn't want you to keep listening to the lies. You dirty sinner, I'm going to get you. No, you've been washed, you've been clean. The threats are in vain. The enemy can't find you as you hide in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God doesn't want you feeling like wretches. He doesn't want you hiding. He doesn't want you miserable. He doesn't want you running. He wants you to draw near to him that he might draw near to you. He wants you confessing freely. He wants you dancing in his presence with him. But mostly, he wants you walking daily with him. For your life is with Christ. And that's right where he wants you, right next to him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would remind us to let you take all the trash regularly from our lives. That we, Lord, wouldn't try um, to restrain you, to hold on to anything, but we would let it go and we would live as slaves of righteousness, compelled by your love, compelled by your grace, constantly to live in this wonderful love relationship with you. And when condemnation comes to recognize it, not as the voice of our father, but of the enemy. Lord, give us hearts that confess freely, openly, and, and without fear or shame that we might be set free and, and washed anew and afresh and come into great fellowship with you in the body of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name.